0: You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website www.trinityws.com.
1: I will be reading from Matthew 13:1 through 9 and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: All right, let's pray. And then we'll dig into this. God, our Father, we come before you asking that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, and that you would give us hearts that are receptive to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was thinking about this subject this week, I was on a walk uh, with Pastor Shan around the neighborhood here and we saw these people working on their yard and they were doing all this work and uh, irrigating it and things like that. And I was reminded of a house that Emily and I had uh, in Tacoma just a few years ago before we moved back to West Seattle. And in that house, we probably spent way too much money on that yard, uh, especially in light of how much return on the investment we got. I don't know. Well, It's hard to say with real estate, right? But we, you know, we did all the irrigation and all that. But here's the, the main project that we did. We, uh, the thing that was kind of interesting in, in North Tacoma is that they had some sort of a um, manufacturing thing going on there years ago. And so all the soil in North Tacoma is contaminated. It's all full of lead and all these other like chemicals and stuff. You can't grow anything in that soil. And if you try to, you're going to get those contaminants in your food. Okay. And so we were like, well, we really want garden beds, but we can't replace all of our soil in our whole yard. This is too much money. So we built these raised beds, they're really big, a couple of feet off the ground, built them with, if I remember correctly, because I'm not a lumber guy, uh, it was like Alaskan white maple, if I remember right, or something like that. Uh, no, it wasn't maple. It would have been cedar, white cedar, sorry. Uh, and. Uh, And they were just beautiful, these amazing garden beds, they're really big, nine feet long, two of them, and then they were joined together with one that was six feet. And what we did after we filled that with nice, organic, non-contaminated soil was we planted seeds. And we put in there, you know, cucumbers and the usual suspects, right, green beans and tomatoes and all that kind of stuff. But we also put in the weird things that I like, like Thai basil, because that stuff's expensive. If you ever make Thai food, you got to have some Thai basil, Um, turmeric, and ginger. We planted all these things. We nurtured it. uh, We watered it, right? We, We took care of it, and eventually things started to grow. It was amazing the first time that we made a meal, and we got to eat from our own garden. It was a really fun experience. And the reason why I'm bringing that story up is just to kind of paint a picture of the the world in which we are talking about today. We're talking about an agrarian kind of world that Jesus is is illustrating for us. And it's one that we're not all that familiar with unless we've done gardening of our own. And I wanna encourage you as we're working through this text today to just kind of have that image in your mind. And Jesus wants us to think of our own hearts and what kind of soil our hearts are. That'll become clearer as we go through And I want to encourage you to do that, though. Consider what kind of soil your heart is. But as we get into this, I want to just bring us into some context for where we're at here in chapter 13. It said uh, in verse 1, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them, Many things in parables saying, and we'll we'll finish that sentence in just a few moments. And so for the past, this is the context. For the past couple of chapters, we've heard some really interesting stories and teaching from Jesus, Uh, but this is the first time, if you can believe it already, first time in Matthew's gospel where we're entering a passage that is full of parables. This is all, almost all of chapter 13. And a parable is a simple story that's used to illustrate a much deeper moral or spiritual lesson. Okay, Simple story, illustrating a spiritual lesson. And and so knowing what parables are is going to really help us throughout this whole chapter. It's also going to help us, though, to know what they are for. And this is one of the only places where Jesus actually explains to his disciples both what the parables mean and what the parables are for. And so what he says here is going to guide our understanding for most of this chapter. We actually didn't hear Sandy read this part earlier. I'll read it uh, as we dig into what the parables are for. Jesus tells us right here in chapter 13. And the first thing that he tells us that the parables are for is he says they're to give the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Verses 10 and 11 said this. Uh, where are those? There they are. And the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So Jesus tells his disciples that it's all about these secrets. Some translations use the word mysteries. And this that's because this word in the Greek actually comes, uh, it's where our word mystery comes from in English. It's musteria. and and so what you, you want to catch, as Jesus says, is he's talking about his own parables in terms of secrets or mysteries. And so it doesn't mean that for those of us who understand them, for those of us who receive them, that they aren't mysterious or that they aren't secret. They actually are. Some of what Jesus teaches us here can be difficult to understand. Rather than it being not mysterious or not secret, what, it, what Jesus is trying to get at is that we are able, those of us who receive the secrets, we are able or willing to arrive at the truth. To know these secrets of the kingdom of heaven then requires faith. The second thing that the parables are for, Jesus told us, is to multiply these secrets for those who receive them. That was in verse 12, where he says, For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Whoever has received the secrets of the kingdom, it will only grow in their heart. Your heart will grow more and more full of the kingdom of heaven and more and more emptied of the kingdom of this world. But then number three... The other purpose of the parables is to take away the secrets from those who reject them. This began in verse 12 as well. For those, for the one who has, more will be given, he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case... And so Jesus tells us that what was true for Isaiah's audience in this passage here, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, that same thing is true for his audience, he says. They were spiritually deaf. They were spiritually blind. Their hearts were hard as rocks. In other words, they would not accept or embrace what God was trying to say to them. And so What we take away from that is that parables are a sign of mercy for those who believe, but they are a sign of judgment for those who don't. Parables are a sign of mercy for those who believe, but they're a sign of judgment for those who don't. And the fourth thing, the last thing that Jesus says the parables are for, is in verse 16, he says, "'But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear.'" The parables are to bless those who see and hear. And if today you see and hear, you are going to be blessed. That's good news. And so to sum all of this up, Jesus taught in parables to give secrets to a very few and to exclude the secrets from the many, which, if you think about it, at first doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, wouldn't you think that if you were a new king launching a new kingdom work that's coming from heaven, from God, wouldn't you want to persuade as many people as possible to join, right? Doesn't that make the most sense? But we have to remember, as we've said, you guys are probably feeling like broken record if you've been around here. Jesus' kingdom is upside down. Thank you. Yeah, a couple of you guys are with me. And it's not what we would expect Jesus' kingdom is not what we would expect because we wouldn't expect the king to be homeless, right? But he was. We wouldn't expect the king to stop and care for all of these insignificant and vulnerable people, but he does. And in first century Palestine, we also wouldn't expect the king to invite these blue collar fishermen and women into his inner circle of disciples, but he does. We also wouldn't expect the king to die on a cross for the wrongs of his people, even though he was innocent. But he does. And we wouldn't expect it because there has never been a king like Jesus. And there never will be besides him. And so we've got to keep all of these things in mind as we go through these parables these next few weeks. At times you are going to feel confused. These are secrets, right? These are mysteries of the kingdom. At times, you may even feel offended. You need to know these feelings are normal. The question is, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with Jesus' parables? What are you going to do with the secrets? What are you going to do with the mysteries? Will you press through all of that confusion or that offense? Will you receive the secrets so that they produce fruit? Jesus says that they will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Will you receive them or will you plug your ears, will you shield your eyes, and will you reject the truth? That's the question. So let's look at this parable now. The first parable in chapter 13 is the parable, commonly known the parable of the sower, and it starts in the second half of verse 3 where it says, A sower went out to sow. Now, obviously, we're not talking about sowing fabric, we're talking about sowing seeds, right? And the sower here in this parable is anyone who shares the word of the kingdom, as we'll see in a moment. In a different parable, I think it's the one that we're going to look at next week, Jesus says that he's the sower, but that's in that parable. This one's a little bit different. For here, he intends for, for this to be a picture of someone who has received the kingdom of heaven and is now spreading the kingdom of heaven. This could be you. This could be me. This could be anyone who receives the kingdom and spreads it. And verse 4, "...as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they did no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away." Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay. That's the parable right there. That's it. And if we just heard that part of it, we might have a lot of questions. In fact, I'm guessing that the disciples had a lot of questions because. Jesus goes on to actually tell them, just his inside circle, just his disciples, what this parable means. Isn't that nice of him? He doesn't keep the secrets hidden from them, right? And we get to eavesdrop on that conversation now. We get to hear. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is speaking all these secrets, all these mysteries, and we all get the inside scoop on those. Which is really interesting, I gotta be honest, for me as a preacher and a teacher, this week as I was preparing, I was like, man, most of the time, I'm spending like half my sermon just wrestling through what Jesus is and isn't saying. And he did that part for me this time, so you're welcome. Uh, here, Here it is. What does the parable actually mean? Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes... As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So we want to be thinking, what kind of soil is my heart. And we already dealt with who the sower was in this parable. Uh, and, and, and we see here that there are actually four types of soil that the seed was sown onto. Now, what's the seed? The seed, Jesus says, was the word of the kingdom. And what does that mean? That, that might feel a little bit vague to most of us. The word of the kingdom is the news that in Jesus Christ, God's promises for human history are coming to fruition. It's good news. Amen. God's promises for human history are coming to fruition through Jesus Christ. It's the news that humanity needs a God to worship. Humanity needs a a savior to rescue us. Humanity needs a king to rule over us. And in Jesus Christ, all three of those things are found. It's good news. And so you see, I just scattered some seed over you. Did you notice that? (laughs) That's what I'm doing. I'm just scattering. It's kind of meta, right? I'm talking about what this means, and I'm doing it at the same time. And I'm curious, how is that seed landing in your heart? How did it land? How does it land that Jesus Christ is our God, that he's our savior, that he's the king of the universe, and that now that his kingdom has come, is coming and will come, everything is different. Everything, all the devastation and brokenness caused by sin in this world, it can now be forgiven. It can now be healed. It can now be transformed. All the injustices that we participate in as society, all the injustices that we observe can now all be uprooted. All that is wrong in the world can be made right. Why? Because that is what his kingdom is like. Isn't that good news? How do those seeds sit in your heart? The point of this parable is that we are, if we are receptive to this word about his kingdom, what we are given can then be multiplied times 30, times 60, times 100. In other words, his kingdom can grow in us, but it can also grow through us. And if that's sitting really well in your heart, if that sounds like good news to you, your heart is probably good soil but there are four types of soil Jesus says four types the first one was the path and the path was someone whose heart is too hard to let anything through right and there are a lot of different reasons why someone's heart might be hard your heart might be hard because people have been trampling on it just like a path Maybe you've experienced a lot of pain, and and the response that you've given to that pain is hard-heartedness. The seeds of the kingdom cannot get through. Maybe your heart is hard because you believe what our culture teaches us, that if you're hard, then you're strong, right? How many times have we heard that? especially us men, that's, that's the message that we're constantly being given. If you're hard, then you're strong. And lastly, your heart might be hard just because you're an egotistical jerk face. It's just plain and simple. <laughs> it's just like why some people's hearts are hard. Whatever the reason for the hard-heartedness, it meant here in this parable that the word could not take root see that this person they may have heard it but they didn't hear it you know what I mean it's like a toddler right they're you know two years old or so they can say maybe a few words but not all that many and what that means is that they can play it off like they don't understand what you're saying <laughs> they can hear it but they don't hear it you know they, they want to do what they want to do and because the people whose hearts were hard didn't hear it. They didn't understand it, Jesus says. In other words, they didn't receive the word. They didn't accept it. And so the evil one, Jesus says, his, he, he uses that phrase a lot in Matthew's gospel for the devil. The devil comes in like a murder of crows and he just snatches up all those seeds that had been scattered until there's nothing left, nothing. The kingdom is now absent from that heart. All the goodness of knowing Jesus, it's gone. All the joy of getting to spread the word about him, it's, it's taken away. And then Jesus tells us about another kind of soil, the rocky ground. And the rocky ground had immediate joyful reception of the kingdom, which is great, but the problem we see comes later. Because as I've said before, Jesus is polarizing and and as good as his kingdom is, it's actually repellent to some people and so belief in the gospel of the kingdom actually, eventually, always costs you. Because it's gonna repel some people, right? And, 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 and it's gonna cost you for so many different reasons and in so many different ways. But just because it's fresh on our minds from last week, I wanna use the example of family. Maybe your acceptance of the kingdom has cost you your family. Last week, we saw that identifying ourselves with Jesus brings us into God's family, which is such good news. But it might mean that our biological family may not join us. And as I was on the phone this week with Guzine, the woman who I mentioned earlier, our, our partner in Turkey, uh, she was telling me that this is her story, that living in a basically secular Muslim country, Uh, her family disowned her when she became a Christian. And by the grace of God, this other family brought her in, and she became a part of their family. She calls this uh, husband and wife uh, her spiritual mother, father and mother, and they have just blessed her life tremendously but she's lost her biological family. Some of you have experienced that. The kingdom costs you. Now for others, it may not be something that's quite that uh, pronounced, that clear, that this tribulation or persecution that Jesus describes which arises on account of the word, it might just be as simple as Christianity is unpopular. It's unpopular to hold Kingdom values, which of course is something we know we don't experience here in Seattle, fortunately, right? Okay, glad you guys scratch that, reverse it, (laughs) right? When the kingdom costs you something, how do you respond? Jesus tells us that when someone can't take this kind of rejection, The result is you fall away, or some translations say you stumble. It probably means that you lose your faith altogether. Why? Because you weren't really committed to begin with. The word never took root. And so the challenge here is if you have professed faith in Jesus but you have lacked the courage to remain committed to him when it cost you something, this. Is you. You need to keep this illustration in mind and you need Jesus to come and till the rocky ground of your heart so that you can actually receive, so that you can actually understand the word of the kingdom and have it then blossom into this fruit that multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. That's my prayer for you. Third kind of soil was the thorns. The thorny soil is soil where there are already some well-established plants there. The, these destructive plants are so well-established, in fact, that the kingdom cannot grow. And I wonder, is your heart like this? If so, you need to hear this warning from Jesus that these thorns will destroy you. The only way for the goodness of the kingdom to take root in the soil of our hearts is when our hearts are devoted to him. There can't be all this other stuff growing in there. It will choke it out. Specifically, Jesus highlights two things that will choke out the kingdom of heaven in our hearts, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. What does he mean by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches? I'm gonna use two words, a word for each one of them, just try and simplify it a little bit. The cares of the world, I'm gonna use the word security. In other words, worry or anxiety of the world. So security meaning, I want financial security. Second one, deceitfulness of riches, I'm gonna use the word success. I want, I love financial success. If you have professed faith in Jesus but what you really love is security or what you really love is success, then this is you. Your heart is thorny soil. And I wonder if this isn't the most prevalent type of soil in the hearts of Americans today. I think it might be. Because, you see, we've tricked ourselves into believing that all these other destructive thorns, they can just grow up right alongside our love for Jesus. But to illustrate how this isn't true, I'm going to use some math, okay? And you guys uh, might have been here when our family ministry director, Bill, used some math in his sermon. Some of you guys were like, whoa, that was the most profound uh, math, I've ever seen in my whole life. I think he used like calculus or something like that. Well, you're going to get a feel for how he and I differ when it comes to math. Because um, this is about as complex as my math gets, okay? You ready? A love of Jesus plus a love of security equals a love of security. You get that? That's what Jesus is saying a love of jesus plus a love of success is a love of success the love of jesus the love of his kingdom will get choked out and die ulterior loves choke out your love for jesus and eventually it will destroy your faith 1 Timothy 6.10 says this about the deceitfulness of riches. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. A lot of times people misquote this verse. They say that money is, is the root of all evil. I don't, anybody ever heard somebody say that? I've heard that, a lot actually. Maybe more than the right, the, the, what this really says. But that, that's not what this says. Did you notice what it says? It says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Money itself is not evil. Which is good news for those of us who are seeking to be good stewards of what God has given to us, seeking to be wise and, 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 and yeah, just use the money in ways that honor him. Financial security is not evil. So I'm using that term security a lot. I want you to hear it. it's not evil in and of itself. Success is not evil in and of itself. Loving these things is the root of all kinds of evil, and so Jesus teaches us not to trust in our own work, not to trust in our own paycheck or our employer, not to trust in our wealth or our accumulation of it, not to trust in our retirement accounts, but no, we must trust in him. We must love him above all of these things, must love him above all the stuff. It's being offered to us. Why? Because it's deceitful. It's deceitful. And it's like playing with fire. You get around all that stuff, man, so easy to get sucked in. And before you know it, the kingdom is completely gone. It's gone. In a recent survey that I read just this week, Only 16% of Americans said that religion, and by religion, they mostly meant Christianity because almost all of them are Christians. Only 16% of Americans said religion is the most important thing in their lives, 16%. I wondered about that other 84%, right? Is that, did I do the math there right? Yeah, okay. (laughs) I wondered about that 84%. What was on their list? What was at least as important as their faith? Or what was more important than their faith? And I'm guessing for many, I mean, you could probably fill in the blank yourself, but I'm guessing that for many people, it was their work or it was their wealth. Our nation has been seduced by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We have. How are we seduced? Let me prove it to you. We are constantly, constantly being told that the goal to life is to be happy. Amen? Is the goal to life to be happy? Well, kind of. (laughs) If you think of it in an eternal sense, then yes, we will experience, those of us who know Jesus, eternal happiness, and that is where we're headed. But the goal to this life is to be holy. And that leads to happiness, for sure. But it's not the kind of happiness we're being sold. And so we're being constantly told that the goal to life is being happy, and we're constantly being told that that happiness is achieved through what we have, right? I mean, advertisers, this is, the whole advertising industry is built on this, and we're constantly being told that the reason we aren't happy is that we don't have enough, and that if we have more, we will be happy. You remember that game, Hungry Hungry Hippos? Anybody? <laughs> Just think, just watch this for a second. I don't even know if I need to explain this illustration, but (laughs) this is the world that we live in. We feel like, oh, I'm not greedy. And yet this is this like hippo thing. This is what we're trying to do all of our lives. We're being taught, we're being conditioned to chase after that next bit so we can get more. More food, more drink, more money, more stuff. I just need more. And most devoted Christians, they don't wake up one day and decide that they're going to worry about their finances or worry about all their needs, obsessing over them, and then hoarding everything and trying to collect, being filled with anxiety over whether they're going to have enough. Most, Most Christians don't wake up one day and decide that, it's just the air that we breathe. And yet here's how deceitful this is. Listen, we already have more than any other culture in the history of the world. That's how deceitful this is. And the secret of the kingdom reveals to us here that we can't ever have enough of this stuff it will never satisfy us. Why? Because what we really want, what we really need is the eternal kingdom of God. And that's available to us right now in Jesus Christ. It's what we were made for. No matter how much financial security you have, no matter how much financial success you have, it will never take away your anxiety and it will never make you happy, never. Only the kingdom of heaven can actually do that. And when the seeds of the kingdom of heaven are allowed to then sprout up in your heart, it actually transforms your view of money. You go from having a death grip on your wallet to sharing freely with anyone who you can, who is in need. Because that is what the kingdom is like. And so if you have thorny soil in your heart, you need Jesus to come in and to uproot all those disordered loves, all those loves that you have that are going in the wrong direction so that the kingdom of heaven can truly spread that is my prayer for you this week. Finally, we come to the good soil. The good soil is the soil where the person hears the word, understands it or receives it, and then they bear fruit, a lot of fruit. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is in an agrarian society, right? And in an agrarian society, there's nothing more important than fruitfulness. And on one hand, we totally can't relate to that at all because we live in an era of industrialized farming, right? And all that farming goes on somewhere else we don't have to pay any attention to, we just go down to the grocery store and buy the stuff. I mean, who even knows where this stuff came from? And so we're very detached from this idea of fruitfulness on one hand, but on the other hand, we live in a consumerist society. And we still care a lot about fruitfulness in whatever uh, spheres we run in. It might be in your workforce, it might be sales goals, right? Or performance goals. We want our lives and our work to be fruitful. We get energized when they are, and we get depressed when they aren't. Because you see, bearing fruit is what human beings were made for. God, after he creates Humanity in Genesis 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. It's it's the top thing on the agenda as a human being is to be fruitful and multiply. It's how we image God by being fruitful and multiplying. And Jesus puts a, a new twist on this. After his resurrection and before his ascension, he tells his disciples, he says, Go and multiply disciples of every ethnic group, go to every nation. And make disciples. He's talking about being fruitful and multiplying. And so if that's the case, what kind of fruit does Jesus have in mind when he says that the person who has good soil in their heart multiplies this fruit times 30 times 60 times 100? The kind of fruit he has in mind is the kind where the kingdom grows in your heart so that the kingdom spreads with your hands. It's basically, if you wanna simplify it, it's basically the fruit of the spirit growing in you and then pouring out of you. God's love growing in you, pouring out of you, God's joy growing in you, pouring out of you, God's peace growing in you, pouring out of you, God's patience, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's gentleness, God's self-control, and I want you to imagine, what would your life be like if that was always growing? What if you were growing in love? What if you were becoming more loving? What if you were becoming more joyful? What if you were becoming more full of peace? What if you were becoming more patient God knows we all need to be more patient, right? What if you were growing in kindness? What if you were growing in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness? What if you had more self-control? That is what Jesus is trying to get us to catch a vision for, a life that is full of his kingdom. And now imagine what it would be like if not just your life were like that, but if this world were full of people whose lives were like that, full of God's love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. Jesus is trying to get us to long for that in our hearts so that we can see all this foolishness, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, not even having the courage to stand up for my faith. I don't want to pardon any of that stuff. I want kingdom fruit. You get that? That's what he wants us to want. He wants us to see the kingdom growing in us. He wants to see the kingdom growing through us. And you know what was so great as I was preparing for this message this week as I thought about that I was thinking you know (laughs) It's wonderful getting to pastor a church where that is happening. I'm just sharing this with you as an encouragement where I get to watch this congregation of people have that desire for the kingdom to grow, have that desire for for the kingdom to grow in their hearts but also in their hands. We're not a perfect community. Not every one of us has good soil in our hearts. Not every one of us is always perfectly growing in the fruit of the Spirit, and yet, by and large, this is a community that desires that. And so I wanna encourage you to keep it up. Keep desiring the kingdom, keep working for the kingdom. A few questions, four questions. How do you respond when the kingdom costs you something? Again, these are on that Sunday recap. How do you relate to financial security or success? In what ways have you seen fruit from the kingdom growing in someone else's heart? And in what ways have you seen the fruit of the kingdom spreading with someone's hand? Uh, Actually, either of these last two could be from your own life, but also if you see it in someone else's life. I'm gonna pray and we'll respond to God together. Father, we thank you so much I'm going to be up here for the rest of the day thanking you for the ways in which you are so good to us. Thank you for revealing the secrets of the kingdom to us. And I pray that every heart here would be the kind of soil that can receive it. And I pray that this community, this church, Trinity West Seattle, would continually grow to be more like your kingdom here, to be more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.